Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm going to be sharing from First Thessalonians again this morning. This will be the third uh, part of that series. Third time I'll hear from First Thessalonians. We'll be starting in chapter two again. The first two parts of um, this series. In the first time we looked at chapter one, where Paul talks about how the Thessalonians respond to the gospel. And our takeaway from that was that um, everybody still needs the gospel, not just those who haven't heard it yet, but those who have heard it, they still need it. They still need it to be effective in their lives. And for it to be effective, it needs to be more than just words to it. It needs to be a way of life that is lived out and embraced and permeates our lives. And then in chapter 2, the first part of chapter 2, Paul describes how he lived among the Thessalonians and maybe is defending himself a bit from some false accusations made about them. And in, in chapter 2, we saw uh, some attributes of an excellent servant that he keeps going in spite of opposition. He loves God's people. He's hardworking, self-sacrificing, and most of all, driven to please God and not men. And, and two of the things that I appreciated about Paul in, in, in that passage is just his awareness of the fact that God examines our hearts, God looks at our hearts, He knows what's going on, and God approves or does not approve, as the case may be. He examines, He tests, He examines, and He can be pleased with what He finds there or not. And I think that drove Paul to please God and call his, his, the people of Thessalonica to please God as he does in their verses. Our church needs excellent servants. We need people who not only live lives of personal integrity but are investing in the lives of others, which leads us into today's passage. In, in today's passage, we'll look at the last part of chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3. And in this passage, Paul explains how persecution tore them away from the Thessalonians and how worried he was about this little church, how worried he was about them, how, how they were doing. He knew they needed more discipling, and yet Satan was preventing him from returning to Thessalonica, as, as Paul puts it. And when he couldn't come himself, he sent Timothy. And two of the major themes that I see in this passage are just how stressed out Paul was about Thessalonians. And then secondly, how joyful he was when he found out that they were doing well. Paul lived and died over the, over the spiritual health of others. In fact, he almost says that literally in this passage. He says, Basically, now that I find out that you're still standing, now I can live. And so I'm very uh, challenged by his example. How stressed out he was, how joyful he was over this church. Uh, it, Paul is very concerned about others. It's more comfortable, maybe, to not be that concerned about others. It's, a more carefree, maybe, life to not be that involved in the lives of others. But that's not what Jesus calls us to. 
And I think that what we should take away from this passage here, one thing we should take away is that um, God's church needs people who sweat and rejoice over the spiritual health of others. So we're going to read this passage. I'll just give you kind of an overview of the different sections. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a few verses at a time and then make some comments. I broke this out into four sections. In verses 13 through 15, he talks about the persecution that took place in Thessalonica. Verses 17 through 20, our separation and our longing to be reunited. Then in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, the sending of Timothy. And then in chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, the report from Timothy and how happy Paul was. So verses 13 through 15, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we also thank God possibly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen, that they did from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and deceived God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, that they might be saved. So as to always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. So in, in verse 13, you accepted the word of God for what it is. The word of God made all the difference. And, and in verse 14, Paul seems to be saying this is why he's convinced they accepted it as the Word of God, and that they joined ranks with others who had been persecuted for the faith, others who had suffered for God, which included the churches in Judea, included Paul and the other apostles, other Christians, the prophets, Jesus himself. And that suffering by the Thessalonian church impressed Paul that their faith was genuine. And not just Paul was impressed. In chapter 1, it describes about that, that testimony that went out to the entire region and just kept rippling outward. And that testimony seems to be connected to the fact that they were suffering. In chapter 1, he said, You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, that you became an example. We talked about to begin in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. We ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions. And so we might shake our heads and wonder that God would allow persecution on these uh, spiritual younglings in Thessalonica. But God did. And they hung in there. And... Um, I guess the whole reason is finding out how, how strong God's grace is. Let's go on to verses 17 through 20. I'm kind of, I'm kind of skipping over. Um, I'm not commenting on those verses about wrath, and, and so on. we could dig into that for a while, but for time's sake, I'll move on to verses 17 through 20. How Paul got separated from them. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, 
I fall again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting for our Lord Jesus at his coming? It is not you, for you are our glory and joy. We were torn from you because we, it was not an easy separation. It was not Paul and, and his team just getting tired of the complicated you know, work with these people in Thessalonica, so we're moving on. They were under uh, persecution. They were forced to flee. They were still with them in heart. Definitely wanted to come back. But verse 18, Satan hindered us. Sometimes God would stop Paul from going a particular direction and make him go in a different direction. In this case, Satan stops Paul from going back to Thessalonica, which means God allowed him for whatever reason. I have to wonder, maybe, maybe it had something to do with the development of the Thessalonians. Maybe it had something to do with Timothy, you know, being sent on this mission by himself. I don't know what God's purpose was in allowing this hindrance. And what was it? What was the hindrance? How did Satan? What was Satan doing that kept Paul from going back? That's one night. Different commentators have come up with different ideas. Some have said maybe it was Paul's thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. Maybe it had something to do with the situation in Thessalonica. Let's see, Jason had to um, put up some kind of security, and maybe Paul and, and, and Silas, if they'd come back to Thessalonica, maybe it would have had some kind of legal complication um, if, if things had gotten screwed up again. Maybe there was something going on in Corinth that needed Paul's attention. Verse 7 of chapter 3 would kind of suggest that something was going on. He talks about distress and affliction. Maybe, maybe there was some trouble in Corinth. But Satan was hindering Paul from returning. He longed for them, he says, in verse 19. And the basis of Paul's longing is now we know that Paul loved the Thessalonian church. We talked about that earlier. It's affection for them. Well, to give their lives for them. But here the basis is, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? It is not you. Hope that that is coming, you will be ready. Joy that uh, you are still on the right path and you are, you are faithful. Uh, crown of boasting, referring to the, the wreath here, and Paul uses uh, illustration all the time. The wreath that an athlete would get winning a contest, and he's saying, at, at his coming, you're going to be our trophy. And, and Paul, I talked about two things he was aware of uh, in, earlier in chapter two, the previous message. And here, one of the things I just see him living in awareness of is this day of reckoning. He, he, he constantly is, is talking about that. That uh, there's going to be a day of reckoning when people will be rewarded according to their works. And he wants to be a faithful servant. And when he thinks of that day, he thinks in terms of how he has affected others. Going on to chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, why we sent Timothy. 
Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the Gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. So Paul saying here, we, we were scared to death for you. We knew you would face opposition. We told you it would happen. He did not paint this rosy picture that, you know, just accept Jesus and everything is going to be great. Uh, you're going to live a, just a wonderful life and uh, you get everything you want. Live, laugh, and love. You know, it's going to be this blissful experience. I mean, there is definitely great joy in following Jesus. We're going to look at that. But he told them, you're going to suffer. This, you're going to face opposition. And they did. I, I, was, I was looking in, in Acts uh, 14. Do you remember when Paul was stoned after Lystra? And, uh, and then after that, they kind of circled around and revisited. Paul miraculously survived that stone, obviously. And then uh, they circled back around and revisited some of the churches. And it says that what he was telling them, I can just imagine Paul, maybe he was still bruised and hobbling. He, one of the things he was telling them was that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And, and maybe he was a living, he was a living example of that. So Paul was very worried about them, afraid the tempter would have had its way with you, our labor would be in vain, so it says in verse 5. And so they sent Timothy, he sent Timothy, first he says, to establish and exhort you in your faith, so to encourage them to stand strong, but also to find out, were they standing strong? The time to learn about the faith. Did they still stand? Paul's very worried about them. And then we get to Timothy's report, verses 6 to 11. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Timothy brought good news. You are faithful. Our relationship is still in good shape. If, and I think if Paul has been any less of a, of a godly man, if there had been even a trace of um, disingenuousness, I'm trying to think of a better word, not so awkward, trace of something false in him, uh, or, and if he's been any less caring of these people, do you think when when they went through this, this tribulation, this trouble, that their relationship would have 
still been good. I think there's been a lot more um, iffy. If Paul hadn't, hadn't been such a sincere and devoted man when he lived among them. And so this report comes back. We're still good. They brought great joy and comfort. In our affliction, Paul says, so we're going through something right now in verse 7. Paul seems to be pointing to some kind of affliction in, in Corinth. We continue to long to visit you and supply what is lacking in your faith. So let's talk about the sweat and joy of discipleship. Paul did not just preach in a town. Um, and then say, good luck to this Congress. Everybody thinks God, God be with you until we meet again. And move on and, and just kind of leave them completely on their own. He seems to always be uh, trying his best, even though he was constantly moving from place to place, to revisit if he could, uh, to send letters of encouragement, send people to... Um, Constantly praying for them, nurturing these people that had come to the faith. But you know, I know in, in Corinthians he says that he planted, Paul planted in Paul's water. But Paul did a lot of watering too. A lot. He discipled people. And if we summarize the situation in Thessalonica, we see that, for one thing, they were lacking in the faith. I'm not, I don't mean to say that they were bad off. But they were new Christians. They needed some more teaching and training and shepherding. Paul says, you know, I want to come and supply what is lacking in your faith. And Paul wanted to come there and meet them. So there, there, was, there was growth, there was shepherding there that needed to happen. That was one thing. The other thing that was going on there was they were suffering. And Paul wants to encourage them to stand strong. Those two things are true about many of us, many of the people we interact with. That sometimes, or another, well, maybe we all we all have this uh, need shepherding. We all need more shepherding, and, and we all go through times of suffering and need encouragement. And Paul is just really a very good example of someone who was aware of those needs and did something about them, even though maybe he could have shrugged his shoulders and said, "Well, too bad they're on their own. I can't go back there." But he did what he could. Even at a distance. Um, and now I'm going to read something Norman said about Grandma. Uh, my Grandma Levine passed away two years ago. And at the memorial service, uh, of course, well, this was, I don't know if it was a memorial service, I guess. This is just uh, the afternoon they're sharing some memories about her. And different people were sharing different thoughts about them. One of the things that Norman said about her that stood out to me was because um, I had to go home early because my kids were getting bad, so I had to go back and look at, at some of the things that were shared. And he said, one of the things that I think is worth taking away from her life is that a very intense, committed life that is very invested in other people and that it has a great deal of concerns and burdens can be a very fulfilled life that is a real blessing to others. Sometimes it might have been easier for her to not have cared so much or prayed so hard, but I am very glad she did. And, and God's church needs people like that. 
who will spread rejoice over the spirit and health of others. It's called discipleship. And then finally, each of us can, can think of different people who have invested in our lives um, and who have made sacrifices for us and sweated about us and hopefully have rejoiced about the progress they've made And we need to do the same for others. So, the sweat of discipleship is like this. It's demanding work. Earlier in chapter 2, Paul said, You remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Over in Acts 20, which is, has this amazing, really neat passage of where Paul is meeting with the elders from Ephesus and, and just kind of recounting how he lived among them. That is a challenging piece of scripture there. And in there he says, For three years I did not see night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And a couple of verses later, I mean, this, this is an ongoing work. A couple of verses later, in Acts 20, he said, In all these things I've shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Did you know that it's more blessed to give than to receive is not in any of the Gospels? I mean, that's, a, that's kind of a, a, an expression I, I kind of knew growing up. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And, and I think I knew Jesus said it. But didn't, I didn't realize it until just you know, recently that I was looking at Acts 20. That's not in any of the Gospels, actually. Paul, Jesus did say it. Paul, Paul's quoting there. But Jesus yeah, I, I just find that pretty neat. There it is in Acts 20. And Paul quotes Jesus. And it's interesting that Paul quotes it in the context of service. So it is demanding work. There will be opposition. There will be false accusations sometimes. Um, Paul had to get, you know, constantly persecuted, chased out of the city, couldn't come back. Satan does not want discipleship to happen. He hindered Paul from going back. Satan did not want Paul to go back. It's stressful. Twice Paul used the expression, could bear it no longer, we could bear it no longer, I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and the labor would be in vain. So even though Paul was a person seemed to constantly be living in joy, he was stressed out about the Thessalonians. We have, seems like, no shortage of stress in our lives. Probably we get stressed out about things we don't really need to get stressed out about. We get stressed out about people lots of times that maybe we shouldn't necessarily be stressed out about. What we need to be stressed out about is the spiritual health of people. Too many people today live and die by the things that don't matter. Uh, sports fans, for example. For example, um, there was a there was a uh, a football game a number of years back, a playoff game between the Steelers and the Colts, and uh, the Steelers were leading by three points late in the fourth quarter, and they fumbled the football. 
and the fan who was watching collapsed from a heart attack. And the Steelers fan, he recovered, and the Steelers did too. They won the game, and so the fan said, you know, afterward, he, you know, he got a pacemaker or something. So he, for him, it all turned out well. But um, seriously, we need to be stressed out about the right things. So that's the sweat of discipleship. Uh, if you want to disciple people, be prepared for that. But then there's the joy side of it. There is joy in the present. Paul apparently was going through some tough times. Right there in Corinth, I don't know what it was. But in the midst of that, he gets this report from Timothy. And, you know, I don't know if... Um, you know, if, if Sophie finds out that we're going to a park with flies, she can, can start jumping up and down. It's obviously a very deprived little girl. She'll still start jumping up and down with joy and excitement. I don't know if, if Paul did here in this situation or not, but he is quite jubilant. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. So now we live. And how can we thank God for all the joy that we have? Paul's pretty enthusiastic. I'm not sure if it's possible to have the same quality of joy without having deeply invested in people. I don't know. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, Paul says, I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I'm overflowing with joy. John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the streets. And he wasn't talking about the biological children. So there is great joy in discipleship. In the present, even in the midst of the stress, there is great joy in discipleship. There is also a looking forward to kind of joy beyond that. Paul constantly, as I said, looking forward to this day of reckoning. In, uh, in verse 19, again, what is our hope? or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming, is it not you? And he said similar things about the church in Philippi and the church in Corinth. In Philippians, he said, you're my joy and crown. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he talks about, on the day of the Lord Jesus, I'm going to be boasting in you. We will boast of you. So there is sweat, and there is joy in discipling people. Jesus portrays the day of reckoning, the day of the Lord, in Matthew 25, as the master coming back to the servants. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And for two of the servants, he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter to the joy of your master. 
But for the last servant, he said, you wicked and slothful servant. You all know all about this, this parable and, and what happened. And he said, cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. Which is pretty sobering. That, that's a pretty sobering parable. It is. If Jesus would ask you, or if he would ask me on the day of reckoning, whose life did you impact? Is there anyone here because of you, or anyone here that you have helped get here? Would there be people that you could point to? Some of us have more opportunities than others. People across didn't have many opportunities, did he? And I don't think Jesus rebuked him. But the problem with the, with the wicked and slothful servant was that he did have some opportunities and he just ignored them, apparently. Didn't do anything. So in conclusion, as we look at this, this how Paul uh, invested in this church in Thessalonica, this church that was suffering, this church that needed more shepherding, I have to think about how would they have fared if Paul had not sent Timothy, if Paul had not prayed for them constantly, if Paul had not written these two letters to them. How would they have fared? I don't know. But Paul sets the standard for the rest of us. He lived and died for the spiritual well-being of this church in Thessalonica. And we... This morning, how to, how to follow that example, become imitators of it, and, and may God make us into the kind of servants who are willing to sweat and will rejoice over the spiritual growth in others. May God bless you. Let's have a song.